Welcome, everybody, back to a new episode of the Tool Belt Podcast brought to you by Plant Services. Today, uh, we have a special guest with us. It's Rick Kahn from Verb Industrial, and he's here to talk with us about uh, how IT and OT is converging and how the convergence of those worlds can help you and your teams uh, better monitor uh, your, your critical assets. So, Rick, thank you so much for being with us today. Well, it's my pleasure, Thomas. I appreciate the uh, opportunity to talk, as I said, about my favorite subject. subject. So uh, looking forward to sharing with you and your readers today. Awesome. Well, before we dive into the, the questions about the topic, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your interest in the convergence of these two worlds? Sure. So um, in 2001, about 20 years ago, I started uh, in the IT department at a company called Matricon, which uh, many of your listeners, readers may have heard back in the day was one of the biggest developers of OPC drivers. Uh, and for me, that was the emergence of, you know, uh, IT trying to get into OT, bringing visibility to monitoring and, and process improvement and, and uh, loop tuning, et cetera. Um, and my department was, I was asked to set up a department that was uh, tasked with safeguarding the infrastructure that we're going into. So as we went into trying to improve our visibility, we weren't uh, decreasing the security or the reliability of the environment. Um, so we built a services-based organization that we started to um, uh, grow. Uh, it was uh, shortly after we started to see some NERC SIP type of um, function and traction. Um, fast forward to today, uh, Matricon got bought by a company called Honeywell, which of course more people have probably heard of than Matricon. Um, and I liked the opportunity to work in large global complex clients, which was very interesting for my own uh, you know, resume and, and learning, et cetera. But I found that Honeywell was a little bit difficult in given its size. And so um, I joined a vendor neutral, uh, smaller uh, company again. The reason I like that is when I work with a facility, <clears throat> there's more than one label or OEM vendor in that space. And so if you could bring a holistic view to this environment, you're doing much better service, in my opinion, to the end user, helping to understand all the different nuances uh, of security within an, uh, an environment, regardless of the OEM label. So. I work now for Verve. We are actually originally a uh, systems integrator company. We do a lot of DCS programming, PLC upgrades, a lot of historian work for loop tuning and some of those process improvement and monitoring capabilities. Um, and along the way, we've built a security platform as well. So I like to think that in the last 20 years, I've, I've done a few projects on security projects and, and maybe can share some, some hangups and some obstacles that some of your, your fellowship might, uh, might encounter and ways to maybe avoid them. Yeah, and from what we hear from our readers, they're encountering a lot of these issues, you're right. Um, you put your finger on one of the problems they're experiencing, which is just the sheer variety of asset classes they're asked to manage and the sheer variety of vendors who manufacture those assets. Um, you know, there's not always time to make sure you can get the same equipment from the same vendor in order to build out a production line. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a challenge to get every, all, the, all the assets to work together, much less work together securely. Yeah, no. And, you know, back to my day as, a, as an OEM vendor trying to bid projects, unless security is written in the spec, your vendor is not going to bake it into the product because it costs more. Um, and when they want minimum compliant and maximum margin, you're not putting anything optional there. So often these things are built without security uh, or with minimal security. And we're getting better. I remember once upon a time I was dispatched to a OSB mail because uh, the vendor decided that a BGP packet, for example, was a great starting point for their new plug and play tool set. As soon as it hit a smart 3Com switch, which knew what BGP was, <laughs> nothing got through. So I had to make both sides as dumb as possible to make that work. We're, you know, so we're using new technology, but not necessarily the way it's intended sometimes. Wow. Well, let me ask you about 
you know, responsibilities among plant teams for these kind of functions. Uh, you know, our readers are, some are learning to have these conversations. Some are more, uh, have more dexterity with these conversations. Um, but I think there's an open question in a lot of ways on how security responsibilities should be divided up between the OT and the IT teams. I mean, our readers often report up through the operations function, um, maintenance reliability, especially if not a couple of operators themselves. So they're curious to hear your thoughts. What are these teams on the hook for, for security? Or what do you see people on the hook for? And, and what would you say they should let IT take care of or, or, or ask them to take care of? It's different for every single organization, depending on how mature IT is, how much collaboration there is between the two departments. But if I stick to a purely philosophical uh, perspective, maybe that might help. Um, as we discussed, you know, as we we're getting ready for the podcast and preparing for what we wanted to talk today, we talked about uh, the notion that cybersecurity in OT isn't necessarily around, you know, honeypots and catching the bad guy and doing the stuff we see in the movies, like tracing back to, you know, the, the evil guys. The, the reality is we want to keep safe, reliable, expected operation running as much as possible. And so the ultimate um, responsibility for me, in my opinion, and many of our clients uh, for the decision-making lies with operations, with maintenance, with the entire, what we call the OT team. Now, the challenge there is that we need to have this knowledge and awareness of the tool sets on the IT side for peer security things. Um, and, you know, let's face it, you could pick an entire career just on networking or just on email or just on databases. And so there's too much for any one person to know. And so I can't have someone with all operational and all security knowledge. I will take uh, a team, right? And so what we advocate is what we call a think global and act local. Um, and what that means is if you do it right, a small team of, you know, a few IT and a few OT can work together to first assess risk. Um, if Bluekeep comes out, for example, um, we can drop that into our database. We can see exactly where that lights us up, but then you need the OT context, right? I can't simply say it's a critical risk on 400 assets. I need the OT site. I need the OT guy or an OT tool set to say, okay, here's everywhere that it is. But within these assets, some of these are critical to safe operations. It's a safety system. Maybe it's a, a lab information management system. Maybe it's something that's you know working on product spec or safety system. Those are going to have a very different priority, but also a handling than redundant you know corporate domain controllers in the DMZ. So right there, I can tell you that same blue key risk has different context for me in an operations role on one versus the other. Where am I going to test first? What am I going to start with? And the only way to come up with smart decisions like that is, A, you first have to have the context. And I challenge my OT readers and followers and, uh, that are listening to this. Uh, inventory is not just IP and MAC address. It's everything about that device, plus its operational context. You take that context and you then work with IT and say, okay, what's this blue key all about? I need to do this as an example, carrying on the analogy. Um, what's this blue keep all about? Well, I can't necessarily apply the patch because either the vendor hasn't approved it yet or they've looked at it and they don't approve it. What we need to do in OT, which is the hallmark of anything, is what I call compensating controls. So if I can't apply the patch, what is my plan B, C, or D? And if the IT guy that's read the, the vulnerability can tell me, well, just disable remote desktop or the guest account in, in as many places as possible, we as an organization have now gone and said, okay, rather than raw risk indicator, we've taken an, a notice and we've understood it through this combination of IT and OT. And we're now going to provide at least compensating controls to most of our systems and full patch where possible. 
I've done what I always claim for IT people. I will get the OT guys there as close as I can and as fast as we can, but we may take a different path to get there. That's really the only way to have meaningful risk reduction and, and sustainable sort of collaborative environment. Okay. Well, I'm curious to know, Rick, you mentioned that these teams often share the process of assessing the risk in the first place and building out that plan. Are there other areas of overlap that you've noticed where the teams would share responsibilities, such as either for uh, uh, proving out the ROI on these kind of investments? Where, where I'd like to see more, and I don't see as much, uh, but the, the, the forward-looking ones are when we get into pro, proactive maintenance, right? So um, we had a client where IT went away and came up with a list of system hardening things they'd like to see in all their systems, and we're going to throw that into group policy and just let it turn on. And of course, that scares the crap out of you know every operator everywhere. Um, you know, small things that they aren't aware on the IT side, like um, you know, uh, a banner login. Well, if you're at a at a pipeline or a transmission line, um, you know, an auto reboot with an auto login in case that goes offline is a fundamental need, or else somebody has to be physically dispatched to this distant thing on a skidoo or a quad out in the middle of nowhere. So, you know, those proactive things, whether that's the specific security controls. So the one I gave before was a risk has emerged. Let's all assess it together. Now let's go and be proactive. What can we actually do to minimize our attack surface? What can we do? The other thing we talked about in our, in our preamble, um, what can we do to start to write security into our spec? When I go to do an upgrade, if I'm still getting equipment that requires me to go backward compatible to Windows 7, I'm not doing my company any favors, right? Now, a big rip and replace, you know, heavy lift to completely change your vendor label, not necessarily reasonable either. But those proactive things where either IT goes and says, oh, we're going to do vulnerability scanning here, you know, or OT says, well, we're going to stick with our current vendor. I need Windows 7 boxes. We're missing the opportunity to do that collaborative sort of uh, cooperation there. Multiple forward-looking things, as well as reactive as, as risks emerge. You know, we we um, scheduled this conversation to talk about ITOT specifically um, as, mm. a, as a network strategy. And, you know, in the seven years that I've been with plant services, it has gone from being an emerging strategy to something which is being deployed day to day. Um, so you alluded before we started here to some of the things that you're hearing from plants and teams that you work with. Um, what are some of the things that you can share with our readers on what the reality of ITOT convergence looks like on a day to day level? Yeah, you know, great question. Everybody does it to differing levels of success. Um, it's, I mean, the ones that do it right are using, like I said, this think global, act local sort of perspective. So, for example, we have a manufacturing client. Um, you know, obviously there are clients that put our technology in, but the result from that was they were able to see all of their risk, right? Everything that they thought they may or may not have had. Um, for example, they found five systems that were dual homed around the firewall, right? So we see violations to their network architecture. Uh, on those five, four of them are running TeamViewer. So they were bypassing a remote, remote access sort of policy and expectation. Um, they did find a whole bunch of things not patched for not patched or want to cry, but they also found a whole bunch of exploitable firmware on PLC levels, et cetera. Um, that particular organization took that and said, this is our new standard. We're going to put this into plant well, number one, and they have 50 or 60 of them in different levels of you know, criticality. Um, and what they do as a team is they put it in and then they go and take the results and say, ah, here's our plan. Let's work together to build what we're doing day one versus month one versus year one and sort of build sort of a standard. Then that same standard goes to the next plant, the next plant, and eventually they're building this corporate collaborative environment. It's wonderful. I can't say enough about it. 
But what I think the real challenges are, are in, in the environments that don't do it well. Um, we have another client where the CISO is, I shall do what I need to do. And I have enough work to do on the IT side that we'll get to OT later. And they're making, there's two things wrong with that. Number one, OT is being left behind. And number two, if I make a decision on the IT side and 18 months later, I now go to try and take it to OT, I'm pretty baked in with that solution. And if it doesn't work on the OT side, I'm either going back to the drawing board or I'm only doing half the job. And so what I, what I would implore your team to do is, or your listeners to do is to say, look, you need to fight for that seat at the table, not because you're going to take over running whitelisting tools or, or an SOC, but because you have very specific requirements that can or can't happen when IT makes those decisions. And IT, for the most part, they're not doing it out of malice. Um, they're doing it arguably out of ignorance, right? Um, I can't tell you the number of times I've sat with a big four OT specialist and said, you can't do scan-based vulnerabilities in OT. You just don't. You knock stuff off. And so you're going to miss systems or you're going to miss openings or opportunities. So let's get a vulnerability plan that matches the corporate's requirement, but let's not put the tool first and hope that we can come back later and retrofit it to OT. So that I guess, I guess to answer your question, um, we need to have a louder voice. We need to say, look, I'm on board. I want to get where you need to, but you need to believe me that we need to take a different path or maybe use different tool sets. Yeah, and we've heard that that's a challenge too, because a lot of people on the OT side may not have a similar vocabulary that IT would expect out of them. Uh, in some ways, it's different worlds, different goals, even though the goal of each department is to help make money for the company. They've got different uh, different missions to go about doing that. Um, one is, you know, on the OT side, it's asset care, asset operation. On the IT side, it's maintain, make sure the systems are maintained. Um, if I may just expand on that a little bit, Tom, sure. the other thing that I see as a real challenge is that in IT, the, the trend generally is that it, for any size or shape of organization that's you know more than one or two people in IT, that there's a lot of specialization within IT, right? So mm -hmm. that the guy who does the vulnerability analysis throws it over the fence and then somebody who does vulnerability management or risk reduction is a mm -hmm. different department. And so the other thing I implore all of my OT brethren is to say, look, if you can get somebody on your budget and not somebody that's on the side of their desk, that is your advocate, that goes to the network team, that also goes to the endpoint team, that also gets to go to you know, the CISO or whatever, and acts as an advocate on your behalf for all things operation, uh, they're able to navigate those otherwise silos of, of information. And I find that's a huge challenge in trying to get things done in OT. Again, because of that compensating control, I may not be able to patch, but I need to know that I can do these other compensating controls. So when the risk guy comes, I can say, oh yeah, I've got this many of them and here's what we've done. Mm -hmm. But that in the IT side would span multiple divisions. On the OT side, we don't have that luxury. But if we could at least dedicate somebody uh, who is responsible as that advocate on behalf of operations to navigate amongst the different departments, we'd have a much better success rate. We're seeing it actually with a very formal client that has a very formal corporate HQ and a full DMC and everything comes into it. They're bringing business unit by business unit into it. And we are having an advocate as the, as the consultant. We are the advocate on behalf of the different business units because I've already talked to the network guy. I've already talked to the infrastructure guy. I've already talked because we did it with business unit one. And so I've learned now how to navigate those. And if we can leave that knowledge behind, um, that operating entity will be much more successful in the maintenance portion once the project's over. That's really interesting. And I, I want to go back to something you said about the way that uh, IT teams have a lot of specialization in them, because in some ways, that's not so dissimilar from maintenance and reliability teams. You may have a vibration 
specialist on hand yep. to monitor the motors. You might have a thermal technician who's in charge of electric, uh, you know, electrical panel maintenance, uh, that sort of thing. Yep. Uh, and yet, you know, each department can look monolithic to the other. So it, it, it I'm just bringing it up as a possible point of uh, uh sympathy between the two teams that, you know what, you may appear to be a monolith, but each side has specializations. And the more one learns about the other, the more they can appreciate, okay, what are the data demands on the reliability side? And how yep. might this specialist in IT help that help out with that problem? Yep. Yeah, you're, and you're absolutely right. And that goes both ways. That advocate on the OT side, and I do it from the OT side because I'm, I'm biased. I, I have seen organizations where IT is designated an OT outreach person. Um, but in both cases, it helps to navigate multiple divisions on both sides. You're absolutely right. If I come in and say, uh, I'm the OT advocate and we're going to do something around vulnerability scanning or something alternative to vulnerability scanning, I'm going to need to know my options from IT. And then I'm going to need to say, okay, well, now you need to explain it to the vibration guys. You need to explain it to the operators. You need to explain it to, because they're all going to have different needs because they all have different systems. You're absolutely right. Well, you know, let me close the conversation then, Rick, with a question on partnerships. And I bring this up especially because you you have been involved with a bunch of different companies. As you said, in your background, you've seen these situations from various perspectives. Right now you're with Verve, which is um, an IT partner, ITOT partner. When you meet plant teams, how many at least initially think they can do it on their own and don't realize that a partner can help versus how many are already down the path and, and are mature enough in what they understand about the job to say, okay, we know we need partners for A, B, C areas. And, and who owns those conversations? To be honest, most of the operators I talk to realize they don't have the staff and maybe don't have the, have the knowledge. Mm-hmm. But the challenges for them is that there's so much noise in the space. Um, there are literally hundreds of millions of dollars from venture capital being put into different marketing and, and new technologies and promises that, you know, I've been in this for 20 years. Um, I've seen the, the, the silver bullet come not once, but twice. And in both cases, it's never prompt lived up to its hype. Um, and so the challenge for many of these organizations is in recognizing, well, I think they recognize that they need to do something. Um, they're not necessarily sure what it is they need to do. Right. And so getting some experience uh, on, on what to do or how fast to do it or what makes the most sense um, from the vendor community, from other peers, from these industry trade shows, um, you know, the ICSJWG and the Public Safety Canada for North America are two federally run, you know, information sharing and you know, trade show type things because they're federally run. There's not you can't buy your way onto the podium. You have to have a good topic. If you're a vendor, you have to pay, you know, you know, stand at the booth, et cetera. They're great places to learn and kick the tires. Um, what they don't, what everybody fails, everybody, ITOT everywhere fails to realize is the maintenance portion. I can't just go do something and hope it's good. We had a client. Uh, <laughs> I, I worked for a previous company. We did some work with them. We did a walk down on inventory. I left and I worked for Verve. I go back to that client. They need help again. Four years later, we're doing an inventory again because nobody touched it for four years. Right. And it's off by 592% when we, because of the explosion in, in IOT. So nobody understands the maintenance. And so I, I know I'm in, I'm, I'm for, I work for a vendor. I'm often painted with the sales brush. Yeah. But you know what, in my 20 years, I've been everywhere from, Saudi Aramco headquarters to mom and pop pulp and paper in the middle of nowhere. I've seen what does or doesn't work. You don't have to take my stuff, but you probably should at least ask me the questions because you're doing it for the first time once. I've seen it literally 300 times, right? 
I'm not trying to sell you. I'm trying to help you. And if you do use my stuff, great. If not, at least we've made the world a better place because, uh, you know, uh, I wonder what's going to be the final impetus for seeing the TSA with the new directive around pipelines and my inbox is lighting up with pipeline customers saying, whoa, can you help? We have 90 days. Um, I'm encouraged because we're going to make some progress, but I'm discouraged that it takes that level of, you know, big giant stick to get people moving, right? It's not as hard as it looks. It's not trivial, right? Um, you know, I've spent 25 years drinking beer and eating wings. I'm not going to get fit by next weekend, right? Uh, just by jumping on a treadmill three times. So there's a little bit of work to be done, but we don't need to be afraid of it. We can make it manageable and sustainable. Um, and there are lots of good opportunities and ideas out there. We just need to, you know, uh, be not so afraid of that, that, that divide between IT and OT. Um, I think there's a, a, a very productive future, but to bring it back to the theme, um, IT and OT both have to be at the table and OT has to say, here's what operationally or functionally needs to happen. And IT says, well, here are your options within those parameters. That's the only way for us to succeed. Wow. Well, Rick, I want to thank you for the conversation. And on behalf of all the maintenance folks who pump their fists when you mentioned that maintenance is overlooked, I also want to thank you on their behalf. Uh, it's, it's a team which it, 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 it's a team that often, it, that often gets information uh, at the very last minute and, and you're, knowledge today is going to help them get more on front of especially these itot conversations so thank you uh, i see my job as part advocate and evangelist and so anytime i get an opportunity to share what we've learned the hard way so that hopefully somebody avoids the hard lessons then it's uh, absolutely worth the time i appreciate the opportunity wow. well and for everyone listening we'll put information and a link to verb industrial in the podcast notes so once again thanks to verb industrial and thanks to rick Hahn. Thank you, thanks.